Denver before I came here this evening. I spent some time with a friend having supper, and I had chicken soup. And I realized that what I really wanted to talk about tonight was not what I have in my notes, but I want to talk a little bit about chicken soup. Because I've been thinking a lot about loving-kindness practice, metta practice. And I realized that the doing of metta practice, when it's done right, anyway, is a bit like offering ourselves and those around us some wonderful homemade chicken soup. Or if you're not into chickens, maybe it's miso broth or something like that, but anyway, something really nourishing and supportive. So metta is the Pali word for loving-kindness, or goodwill, or friendliness, and we do a little bit of it every time when we come here at the end of the evening. We offer loving-kindness to ourselves and to everyone around us. It's actually a wonderful act of generosity to meet ourselves and those around us with that kindness. And there are some traditional phrases that are taught, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be protected from harm, may you be healthy in mind and body, may you be free. It's a little easy to get kind of rote with them. And they also often bring up, you know, happy in our culture, sort of brings up smiley faces and being cheerful, and most of us don't do so well with that all of the time. And all of the others bring up lots of questions, so I wanted to do a little riff on the phrases this evening and see if that would be helpful to you. One of the things to consider when you do metta practice, whenever you do it, it's different from loving-kindness practice, I mean from mindfulness practice, right? You're sitting here in mindfulness practice, paying attention to what is, and then all of a sudden we say, well, do this other practice where you're saying, may you be happy. That seems a little different, doesn't it? And some of what's really important in the doing of the practice is just to feel the friendliness of the wish that that wish, that you would be happy or that someone else would be happy, is a really wonderful thing to want. It's a wonderful thing to want. And if you keep practicing with it a little, because most of us, even if we're not feeling nice or friendly, or we're not particularly filled with goodwill, even just saying, well, I'd like to be filled with goodwill, that's kind of nice, right? That has some good energy to it. I'd like to be friendly toward myself, or I'd like to be friendly toward you. And then that feels, oh, yeah, I would, you know, and there's some, there's some juice to that. So there's some really um, usefulness in doing the practice kind of slowly and really feeling into the, whatever phrases you use. So one of the things I want to say right at the beginning is that Anything I say tonight is based on phrases that I've used or that I've heard other people use, and you are welcome to use them, and you are welcome to invent your own. If you don't like my phrases, 
please make up your own and then come and tell me about them because I love hearing what other people's phrases are because often it's very interesting and helpful and I've learned a lot actually. Some of what I'm going to say tonight comes from comments <coughs> that students have made in relatively recent interviews. And then, you know, you, you may not think that teachers do this, but we do. You know, we go home and go, oh, that was interesting what that person said. You know, and I, I, I learn a lot from those interviews. So I often start with, may I be peaceful? Seems useful. Most of us um, wonder a lot about being peaceful and how to be peaceful, and we live in a world that's very not peaceful. And it's interesting to work with this phrase in terms of may I be peaceful, in terms of may I not be harming, may I not be harmful. And I was as I as we've been talking about. Um, generosity in here a lot. I've thought a lot about the, how wonderful it is to be part of a community of people who live by the precepts. Not harming, not taking that which is not given, not harming with your speech, not harming with your sexuality, not intoxicating body or mind. It's amazing to come and sit with a group of people who intend to do those things. Because when I come here and or any other gathering of this sort, it's a very safe place, right? There's that sense that everybody intends to be non-harming, that everybody intends to be peaceful. So, so that wanting to be not harming outwardly is a very powerful and very wonderful kind of intention. It also works, of course, in directing it towards ourselves. May I also be peaceful within myself. I don't know about you, but I often have at least one war going on internally, right? Something that I'm struggling over, something that um, I'm being judgmental or critical about myself. We, I hear endlessly how people sit down on the cushion and they discover that what comes up endlessly is judgment and criticism of themselves so that intent to to be peaceful part of what this is all doing is creating some also some sense of intention may I be peaceful that's that's an intention as well as a wish it's creating that compass course that we talked about at the beginning of the evening And I think it goes right along with, may I be protected from harm? Or may all of you be protected from harm? And sometimes what's added to that phrase is inner harm and outer harm. So again, that sense of not only are we going to be peaceful, but it's also we're going to protect ourselves and others. And again, that sense of protection I've been reflecting on this a little. You know, I like to think of myself as a really strong person. And I don't like to admit that I need protection once in a while. But you know what? I do. And I love it when once in a while my husband steps up and does something that's protective or a friend is protective. And I begin to see that, oh, this it's all right to to want that for myself, to want to be protected, and also to want all other beings to be protected and to create 
some intention in supporting that, that we all need that, because every one of us is incredibly fragile. Really, we're fragile emotionally, and we're actually fairly fragile physically. You know, if you, you read all those stories about, you know, if you get hit in just the wrong way, that's the end of you. And it's amazing to consider that these bodies that we consider to be so tough are actually not always so very tough. They're very fragile. And so we need protection. And to really invite that in is part of our loving-kindness practice. And then often there's a phrase about health. May I be healthy in mind and body. May you be healthy in mind and body. And so again, that's a very interesting phrase because I suspect, I know actually, not all of us in this room are healthy. You know, we have different kinds of diseases, we have bodies that work not so very well, some of us are getting along in age. So, you know, if I'm sitting here, may I be healthy, am I wishing that I were 25 and totally healthy again? I don't think so. It's not going to do me much good if I, if I wish that. Or if I have something really difficult going on in my body and I say, may I be healthy, am I really sort of doing this kind of magic that's going to wish it away? I don't think we get to do that. So what is health, really? You know, is, is, there, is there a way of, of working with that phrase where what we're wanting for ourselves, creating for an intention for ourselves, is it, no matter what the situation is, to find some place of health and perhaps healing in it. And many people I know have used the word healing in their metta phrases rather than health. And then one of the phrases that I've struggled with a lot over the years has been the phrase, may I be free? And I'm always thinking, well, what is it exactly? When I say, may I be free, or may you be free, what are we, what am I talking here? You know, we're talking ultimate freedom, and I don't really exactly know what that is, or mm, free from suffering, well, that's nice, but it's pretty big. So uh, one of the ways I've come to look at this And one of the things that we talk a lot in Buddhist teaching is to be free from um, what's sometimes called views, but I prefer the word stories. And actually the way I'm using the phrase right now is may I be free from the prison of my stories. Because we, all of us, create not only houses of our stories, which one of my teachers once said, we create the county jail. You know, there's some story or other about what's going to happen or who this person is or who I am or what's going on that has no bearing particularly on the truth, right? We don't know. And and we've all done it. We've created stories. If you want to think about, like, the person that you fell in love with who turned out to be utterly different from who you thought they were, or the person that you really hated for a long time until you got to talk to them and then you discovered, oh, the person who's really in there is very different from the person that I've had this story about. So we create these stories and then we live in them and we react out of them and we inhabit them and we are utterly caught over and over. There's big ones, the falling in love one's pretty big, but there's a lot of little ones too. Just think about tomorrow. 
You know, every one of you thinks you know, right? What's going to happen tomorrow? Right? No. <laughs> You're smart to say no, but you do think. You probably have some sense of a class or, you know, seeing this person or that person. Or at the very least, most of you probably think you know where you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. But you know what? You don't know that for sure. Because you might not get there tonight. You might not even be here tomorrow morning. I mean, that's kind of morbid, but it's true. You know, I might not be here tomorrow morning. So it's all stories out there. And the imitation is pull back. It's, it's not pretend that we don't live in time and space and make your plans and do all of that. Of course do all of that. But it's also pull back and be right here and understand that each moment is unfolding, moment after moment after moment. May I be free from my stories. Because when we're not living out there in the stories, then we're much freer to live here in this moment. And that's useful for each person. It's an act of kindness to ourselves and again to those around us. And then comes the phrase that I think causes a lot of difficulty, at least as I hear it for a lot of people, may I be happy. May you be happy. So as I said, happiness I think is not such a great translation. Um, And a, a word that seems to be helpful for many people is contented. May I be contented? And as I've been pondering this, I've been thinking a little, in developmental psychology, there's an understanding about mothers. You know how every one of us wanted the perfect mom, right? Every, wouldn't it be nice if your mom, this or that or the other thing, or if you didn't want one, you tried to be one. Some of us have done that. And there's a phrase called the good enough mother. The good enough mother, which is a wonderful description. Right? The good enough mother. Not the perfect mother, but the good enough mother. Which implies that some of them aren't good enough, probably. That's probably true. You know, Some of us haven't done so well. But the good enough mother. So I'm thinking a lot these days about the good enough moment. You know, or the good enough day. Or the good enough sit. You know, we could have a conversation about the sit that you just had, right? Was it good? Was it bad? Did you think too much? Did you have a mind that was diamond-like radiance, whatever? Probably not most of you. But was it good enough? Probably it was. Nobody leaped up and went screaming out of the hall. That's good, you know? And you stayed here. That's really good. You stayed here. You stayed on your cushion. And you you dealt with whatever came your way, one way or another, and you didn't leave. That is worth a lot. That is a good enough set. You know, probably today, with all of its ups and downs and difficulties for all of us, was a good enough day. And this very moment, listening to this talk, which you maybe you're liking or maybe you're not, but it might be a good enough moment in this moment. Not perfect, but good enough. And so to really begin to see that there's a place in being, it has a lot to do with equanimity, I think, where um, there's a kind of ease with what is that isn't the kind of happiness that's the smiley face kind of happiness. And And there are moments that are like that, absolutely wonderful, delightful moments. 
but there's a lot of it that is good enough and we can be contented and 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 contented is not complacent I was talking about this with my husband the other day he said oh I'm like contented it reminds me of complacent and then you're not taking care of what needs to be taken care of I'm not meaning con- complacent complacent would probably call that the near enemy of contented it's, but it's really being okay with what is in this very moment and then doing whatever you need to do to, to deal with it and to move into the next moment and then last but maybe not least along with contentment sometimes there's joy and I also find joy a really wonderful word that rather than happiness because many of us are very aware that there's a kind of joy that comes even in the most difficult moments. And any of you who have been with someone who's been really, really ill or dying or in some difficult kind of situation, there are those moments that have this really strange kind of joy that comes even in those really, really dark times when people are really able to be fully present. So to wish ourselves and those around us contentment and even a bit of joy seems like a really wonderful wish. One of the ways to work with this practice that I completely recommend is that as you find some words or some phrases that hold these feelings of friendliness and generosity and kindness for yourself and your others is to actually, I think of it, it's almost like this is my body, right? And I'm dropping the phrase in. You know, just dropping this phrase. Peacefulness. And then there's the little, you know, it reverberates for a while. Just let it reverberate. You can just sit there and feel it. And then after it's reverberated for a while, you can drop in the next one. Help. You know? And then let it reverberate for a bit. And and so you're you're actually having some sense of dropping them into the physical space of your own body or sending them out into the physical space of the people around you and just letting it be there for a bit and sitting with with your phrase and your intention. The Buddha taught loving-kindness practice. He actually taught it, it said, to a group of monks who had to travel home through a forest where there were supposed to be tree spirits. And they weren't considered to be very nice tree spirits. And so the monks were very afraid. So you can imagine, you know, maybe you have to walk home through, you know, big basin and you don't have your flashlight and you know there's coyotes and mountain lions and you're scared, right? And so the Buddha said, okay, here's this practice of goodwill and friendliness. And he gave them the metta sutta, the metta chant, and he suggested that they send out this goodwill into the forest around them and that, so that they were extending their wishes for peace and happiness and health and well-being to every being in that forest. And so they were coming into the forest, of course, in this utterly friendly and non-harming way. And it said that they made it home quite 
safely. I suspect we wouldn't be doing this practice if that had not been true. <laughs> so, so it's it's a practice that is it's a wonderful gift to yourselves, and it's a wonderful gift to everyone else. And as you do it, as you extend to yourself these wishes for peace and protection and health and freedom from storage and happiness and contentment. One of the things that becomes very, very obvious is that as we do that practice, the need for the practice of mindfulness and presence becomes even more obvious because that, in fact, is how we can learn to be contented with each moment, how we can find health even when it's difficult, how we can find that place of peace even when there's a lot of war going on inwardly or outwardly. And so the act of learning to be present supports the intention of the mindfulness. The mindfulness itself allows us the softening and the opening that permits the practice of mindfulness to take root. So I think I'll stop there and see if there's any questions or comments or wonderings about the practice or about anything that I've said or about your way of doing loving kindness practice, which might be different from mine. Please, Carmen. I guess uh, I just noticed that for me... um, when I've had a really bad, you know, tough day, I'm say bad day, kind of challenging day, that I stop and I and I uh, and I think of gratitude, mm-hmm. and it's a form in addition to the love and kindness. That gratitude is also part of that package. I think it. I actually think it's a form of loving kindness. It's interesting. The the Buddha doesn't talk a lot about gratitude. It's, there's not any lists that I know of that have gratitude as no, part of them, but it's very much a, a part of of the general ethos of loving-kindness practice. And yes, by all means, include gratitude. Gratitude's a wonderful practice. Because I found that when I do that and I have challenging day, it's kind of like it propels me back to uh, a place of equanimity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like, I'm right there. It does. It does. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. Are you all feeling friendly? (laughs) Towards yourselves and others? Please. Um, What is your name? Douglas. I often wonder if, in the case when we're protecting our loved ones, that we that may that we may have to do some harm mm-hmm. to prevent that harm from mm-hmm. being spread. And I talk about it sometimes. Is if my intention is to prevent harm from being spread by protecting my family, is that inherently wrong? It's a wonderful question, and I don't know that I have the answer to it. I think everybody has that question. My guess is your own answer would be, if you could do it in a way that was non-harming, you absolutely would. And it's those very, very difficult moments that don't blessedly happen too often where we have to choose. And 
I don't know that I would even want to say which way I thought you should go because I don't know that I know which way I would go. Um, it's a pretty strong instinct to protect the people that we love, especially our children and our immediate family. I ask because I have a, I'm from Venezuela, actually, and I have friends that I talk to uh-huh. on a regular basis, and they always say, oh, Douglas, it's so easy to be a Buddhist in the United States. Uh-huh. Because we live in a very violent city, a lot of you know, uh, death and chaos. They try very hard to follow the precepts. Um, so they always talk about it. The, the Buddha, you know, lived in a time when there were wars. He did not seem to feel that everyone should stop. And there are, there are stories, mythological stories, in which in previous lifetimes, the, um, the, the, the soon-to-be Buddha actually did and in, in one the story I'm thinking of killed a sea captain who was about to kill a whole lot of other people. So the sense of it always is, though, that, that when there's a difficult act like that, to really understand the karmic reverberations and to be willing to take them on. So that it may be that there is a harmful act if you go into it knowing that it's harmful and willing to take on the karma of it, that's a very different thing than going into it angry and reactive. And please send your friends in Venezuela our regards and our metta. Yeah. I'd like to hear more about that sometime. Okay. Um, I have a few announcements, and then maybe I think Heidi has some, or one. Um, I just want to mention two events. Two events. Um, I want to mention that Jason, right here, and Stephanie Tate have a day long, a week from Saturday, called Deeper Still. There are flyers over on the table. I want to just put a flag on a visit coming in March from um, our good friend Ajahn Tanasanti, who's another one of the these rebellious Buddhist nuns who are doing interesting things in the world. And there's flyers over there. She is um, used to be a resident here at Santa Cruz in Santa Cruz and was a student up at the university, so she has a long history with us here. That is, um, she'll be here Thursday, March 18th. She's giving a talk also on Friday evening on the 19th and a day long on Saturday the 20th. So, um, and she's an interesting and incredibly articulate and clear teacher. I completely recommend her to you. Um, And then I just want to announce, we don't have the flyers yet and it's not up on the website yet, but... Our Vipassana Santa Cruz retreat, our annual retreat, is again happening over Memorial Day weekend, on May 26th to 31st at Land of Medicine Buddha. Um, there's usually room for about 40 people. We hope you'll sign up. There are scholarships available if that's a question. And so keep your eye on the website and on the table, and please come. I will be teaching it along with Bob Stahl and our good friend 
Richard Shankman, who used to be from Santa Cruz. Jason will be along in his teacher trainee role, and Marcy will be teaching Qigong. So it's kind of like a family get-together, and it's really wonderful. Please. I was just going to say that I had to be the contact person for that. So ah. I, I can't say that I'm particularly up to speed on any details which really don't exist right now. <laughs> the details are, are, are gelling into but a flyer. the details do gel. Right. Then you know, Martin's your person. All right, my dear, you're on. Um, well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, really trying to make a very special effort to inform everybody about the financial needs of the Pasta Santa Cruz and um, to ask people to really consider what those needs are and what part you want to play in filling those needs. And 